Hello, listeners. Just a heads up that in this week's episode, we're discussing the 2020 film Promising Young Woman. And as the movie contains content relating to sexual assault and depictions of male propagated violence against women, we do touch on these topics in our conversation. As always, we strive to engage with these matters carefully and considerately. But if this content makes you uncomfortable, you might want to give this episode a skip. As always, thanks for listening. Afternoon, all. That was awful. That was awfully. <laughs> did you plan that? No. Uh, I yeah, I did actually. Marcus and I were talking earlier about trying no. to get a harmony, and you know what the uh, weirdest thing is? It sounded awful. <laughs> that it was all one note. It was kind of nah, Should we try one more time? It is odd that you and I decided to jump on Frank's line for the first time ever without communicating that we were going. But to it's do because so. literally before the record started, Frank said, "Hey, you know, uh, Tom, not to name I any tried, names, Tom." I- can we stop treading on each other's lines? And Marcus and I are like, oh, I got something good cooking for the start of this episode. All I was trying to do is give some yes, some feedback, it's, constructive feedback. It's very fair enough. It is fair no, enough. No, it is fair enough. I no, do. No, no. Yeah. 20 minutes later after a little tanty, Tom is back in the room, so <laughs> yeah. we're okay. We had to pause. Anyway, I'm Frank. I'm Chris. I'm Marcus. And I'm time. So this is- <laughs> I didn't even get my name right. It's time. I'm time. And it's time. <laughs> and we're out of time. We're starting it. This is the podcast throwing the power, the, the, the movie where we talk about podcasts and yep. um, two of us hate the podcast, three of us hate the podcast and four of us hate the podcast. So we all hate- <laughs> We're all putting we're our hands here. up? Okay. We're trying our best. No. What one person do? loves the film. One person hates the film. The rest we don't know. We rate it on a score of 11. Why is that, Tom? Uh, we give this a score out of 11 because that's how many dollars that Schmidt had to put in the douchebag jar after a weekend where he killed a stripper. So <laughs> okay. I think that's uh, spoilers. a little bit of a New Girl <laughs> yeah. reference there for everyone who's seen uh, this movie and what like is that? Schmidt from New Girl. Yeah, cool. So we're, today we're talking about um, <laughs> Promising Young Woman. And what a promise. 2020 film directed by written and directed by Emerald Fennell. And uh, it's got a 7.5D on, 7.5 on IMDb. On the DMIB. Yeah. Which is quite good. 73 on Metacritic. (laughs) It won one Oscar for original screenplay. Nominated for five of them. Hey, man, you just tell me all I want to know. Come on. And the budget. What month did it come out in? Oh, I didn't check the, I didn't check the month. I know the month. Okay. It was released in 2020. What month? Uh, it was December 25th. It was a COVID. Which is what? Uh, 20? It's another date. It's not. Oh, shit. Get back to me. Is I it Christmas Day? Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, it was. So this is a Christmas film. Yeah. Like Die obviously, Hard. Yeah. For the whole family. I mean, it screams Christmas film. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't it? Doesn't she dress as Santa? Uh, or was that dresses as a ho ho ho? She dresses. Hey, nice. yeah, well, that's not, not bad. bad. Well, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, uh, those, yeah. those at home, you know, they know that my pun game is not strong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that wasn't. It wasn't you've, just, you've just proved them wrong. That was very good. Um, okay, so who liked this film? Hands up. Oh, am I the only hand? Frank, I'm has, pointing at your hand. Frank has a hand, and Frank's Tom, the only like. No, okay. I'm pointing at his hand. That's a support. That doesn't mean the we same. We talked about this, guys. Oh, my God. Tom, did you Why like it Do you it guys not? think anyone in the room right now is like, well, Tom, are you pointing at him? But like, they can't see us. <laughs> yeah, but we can like- and it, it really just messes up our flow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see what you mean. I think this is going fine. Frank, you like this. We're going to start again. No, no, no. no, no sorry. Not. Okay. <laughs> What's your score? Seven. Ooh. Uh, is there a sound effect for that? Oh, uh, um, yeah. He's lost his sound effects. Oh, nice. Well done. Seven. But I think maybe 7.5. That's why I was I was hesitating because I'm not okay. sure. Like I Hold it. I'll, maybe I'll throw on the pad later, but. Hold it. Okay. Sorry. I'll, I'll continue. <laughs> yeah. so, someone else. Uh, Tom, go. 
expand. <laughs> uh, I really enjoy this movie. I think this is like an 8.7. Okay. Oh, also, you did enjoy it. Yeah, we that's just, why I was pointing at Frank's endorsement oh of it. Oh, my God. Yeah, didn't you it's understand like, that? Did you not no. read any of the semaphore that I sent you before <laughs> yeah. this episode? I didn't even read. What's that? I can't even spell that word. Nah, don't worry about it. S. Yeah, good start. Good. Um, this is okay. good. So, I'm assuming over here we've got two dislikes. Mm. Uh, that number two is fitting. Oh. Chris gives that a two. And Marcus. Uh, I'm giving this a four. That's the no kind of guitar riff. Kind of didn't like it that much. Not that low. Not as bad mm. as a two because a two's a, a, you know, it's aggressive. It's, it's strong. Uh, and then, are we done? Can you please that? explain the soundboard <laughs> a little more to us? <laughs> no. Do you not want to like just record someone dropping a guitar? One of these one day? No, because then I have to drop a guitar. And I only have one. <laughs> and I'm very poor. We're pretty low budget. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not sponsored. Get, uh, we're we're get not Kurt, sponsored. Kurt Russell in. Uh, he's good at dropping guitars. Yes. yes. <laughs> nice reference. In the doors? Uh, no, in the Hateful Eight. <laughs> so let's talk about the film. Uh, to me, this had uh, promise. It was promising. But it didn't live up to it. No. Nah. You, you gave it a four. It was a four. Okay. Did you like any of it? I did. And I wanted to like it more. I really did. And that's that's all you have to say about it? No, no, no. Well, okay. I mean, we, we'll touch on it, but uh, who wants to go in? Are we going with a strong love? Why'd you love it, Frank? No, what, wait, Tom, were you the high school? Yeah, I was. I was like an 8.7. Should we just let Tom do it and then- Yeah, get that on. out of the way. You know, right. I don't have a lot to say, guys. I just think <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you love it? Yeah, just enjoy it. I just had a good time. It's a really interesting oh, movie. Um, a movie. A movie. I think first and foremost, I really like uh, Carrie Mulligan. I don't know what your guys- Same. Sort of She's great. I agree. That's the two points. Yeah. That's the two points. Ah, that's yep. She's very the good four for me, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. Oscar nominated. Well Oscar deserved. Nominated. Uh, her second Oscar nomination, I think she was nominated in 2009 for An Education, which was kind of her like uh, breakout correct. role. She was very young. She seems she's she's playing like a schoolgirl in that, but she's like 23 or 24. And she's playing a 30-year-old in this and she's definitely 35. She's a little older. Yes. Her 30th birthday. That's- it's one of the few things I said uh, during the movie. I was watching with Kat the other day and I was like, she's just like- not to like get into the, we're going to comment on people's age and appearances and stuff, but it's just a little older than 30, just, isn't yeah. she? She just kind of looks like she's got more wisdom than that. She does have more wisdom. That's yes. what it, It's a wisdom thing. It's not a, it's not a wrinkles thing. Sure. Glad you clarified. Yeah. Like, anyway. it's, like, so, uh, it's like Dawson. Glad there were no Creek. euphemisms yeah. skipped there. Definitely no wrinkles. Okay. Here comes Dawson, this 40-year-old looking man in high school. James <laughs> Vandermeek, man. He's always looking And people have seen- He's got a lot of wisdom. On Twitter- <laughs> On Twitter recently, it's people dropping photos of teenagers from movies in the 2000s. And one of the biggest ones I remember is one of the older kids in Cheaper by the Dozen. Tom Welling? Is Tom Welling? No, the guy who plays Superman in Smallville. Tom Welling? No, he's in that um, TV show about Smallville? Superman. Yeah. Chevy yeah. Chase. I think it might be Tom- Chevy Chase. Welling. He was, yeah, he was Tom Welling, that was his name. <laughs> uh, and he looks like- He's absolutely strapped. He's 6'4". It's insane. He's well done, Frank. And he's just like, Mom, I need you to sign my detention slip. Gosh. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm <dude."> 17, Mom. <laughs> and she's just like, I will leave your father for you. <laughs> like, she's oh. very, it's a weird movie, Cheaper by the wow. Dozen. I watched the uncut edition. <laughs> uh, Carrie Mulligan is what we were talking about there. It's, I think it's an all-around great cast. You've got Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, Alison Britt. Like, well, they're the main two. Carey Bo Burnham was a strange choice. I loved him. So I, have did a theory, I. I have a theory about why. Exactly why. Can you tell us? But go. I'll go. No, no, go. Okay. Spoilers. Because later in the film we have the footage of her friend's- Nina's ordeal. assault. 
assault. The footage that's, we that's never get to weird. see. That's is, yes. Yeah. Thank yeah. God. And mm. we we never see it. We hear it playing, and then you hear Bo Burnham's voice, and he has a very distinct voice. I say that as someone with a freakish voice myself. <laughs> I know um, it's not a pleasing. I would say freakish. Voice. This is interesting because oh, I've got, got, got an timbre. exact note on this, which I'm hoping is the same note. Is it a G flat? Yeah, but it's like you, you. As soon as he speaks, you know exactly who it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the massive twist in the film. And that's the entire reason I think it was cast because you could tell exactly who it was without seeing it. You could see, you could very, hear the voice. Very unique timbre. And yeah. like you go, oh, interesting. And they could have, Ryan, I mean, if though. that were the case, they could have had Morgan Freeman. Oh, for sure. Or you, Chris, with your apparently freakish voice. My- what does your <laughs> voice sound like? Are you talking and you've got this like smooth, mellifluous tone that we're all hearing? No. So no. It's just like, no. guys, I just like uh, came here to watch this movie. Yeah. No, I got one in there. Classic Chris. Classic Chris. <laughs> I, thought that was Chris. I, I, listen, I listen back to the pod and it's somehow a mix between like a 15-year-old and a 35-year-old. It's, it's a, the best, it's best a mix I've ever heard. sounding setting. You could have played Bo Burnham char- character in this. Kurt oh, thank you very much. Yeah. I can't. Uh, no, I, my, like, my note not the was, worst. My note on that point, Chris, was like, Bo Burnham speaks, and immediately I went, "Oh shit, he was at the party," because I recognise his mm. voice. And then someone in the tape then says his name. Yeah. What, what's his name in? The, I can't remember. Ryan. 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 He's like, oh blah blah blah, Ryan, and I'm mm. like. Okay. And he's like, don't need film it. him. Yeah. <laughs> just get that. Hey, shut boom. up, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. get Ryan, that. get your hands off that girl, Nina. We've you had like- a grievance with this before, haven't we, Chris? Where you're like, you know, Chris, like I'm talking about you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Chris. That was on top That's absolutely really it right. was. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, Marcus. Yeah. yeah. Very good, it Chris and me, Marcus. And it happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't treat your audience like an idiot. No. But I am. Moving on. Um, <laughs> our only listener. All right. <laughs> Great segue into why you liked it, Frank. Because I'm an idiot. Yeah. No, well, <laughs> I have a couple of points about the cast because we're on there now. So, like, it's so interesting the way they've cast uh, Adam Brody as the first guy she takes home. We didn't do a, should we do a synopsis? <laughs> yeah, we didn't yeah, do that with our last one, on. but you'd best. You know what? We don't have to, actually. <laughs> if you're just going to have a, a rough it's, time hey, of it, it's fine. I can cut that out. Frank's can corner you... just stood in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> like, just pat just him on the back. Hey, he's buddy, nervous. it's fine. It's fine. He got real nervous. I oh, God, he's climbing the fucking walls again. Do you want me the... to read it? <laughs> yeah, please. Yes, please. It takes me a while. Okay, go, go ahead. A young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. So she's Batman. That's so the far, so second good. half of the film. <laughs> your inflection got very strange. <laughs> well, going there. I wasn't I, sure if you were like. I thought it was meant to be a poem because I past and path. I thought it was a haiku for the first twelve <laughs> syllables, and then I realised there was something was going to go wrong. My right name there. is Bill. <laughs> nah, fuck, that's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a niche reference. Great, I love that. Um, going back to the point, Adam Brody is the first guy that Kerry Mulligan takes home. So she's sort of. Be- how would you describe it? She goes out at clubs, pretends to be drunk, and then these nice air quotes, nice guys take her home to Ones take that care of her. refer to themselves as nice guys. And I literally wrote as I'm watching it like live stream, I'm like, oh, good guy, Seth Cohen. Yes. And then immediately after, oh, oh. bad guy, Seth Cohen. But that's it. That's why he's such a good cast because you go, oh, I love this guy. Yeah. Yes. The audience immediately relates to him, immediately goes, he's the good guy. He's going to help her out. Nope. 
He's a he's a bad guy. There's maybe one guy in the whole cast who I think doesn't necessarily play into that because I think you're right with that. I think even Christopher though- Christopher Mintz Plith? Yes. McLovin? Oh yes. The second he's in the scene, you're just like, well, no one's ever gone, Oh, when this guy's on screen. Like, you're he, immediately a little worried. Like, as you all feel about Finn Wolfhard- is how I feel about him. I feel about him as well that same way. Oh, good. They're, they're in the same category of shit kickers. I think he's just- an incredibly niche performer, but he's Ugh. like he's on a handful of times and it works for me. And he works for me in this. It's like a, essentially a cameo and I think it's kind of funny. I just think he because he's playing loving and that was it. Yeah. I think it was a one. We should party. all be so lucky. Like, you know. Great I, film. We all Good auditioned work. for that. Yeah. Mm. Did, I didn't get the call. No? <laughs> what? My agent sucks. <laughs> Tom you thought it was a KFC as, uh, ad. <laughs> I'm McLovin. Pass. Tom got to audition as Seth Rogen's ass. Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. That what would that mean? sound like? It would sound a little Don't, something oh, no. like this. Oh. There we go. I set you up. Oh, I, I wasn't. No. Pl- Marcus had to I apologize. <laughs> I, I wasn't looking because I was trying to ignore God. you because I thought you were going to go, I'm Seth Rogen's ass. <laughs> I'm going to create this uh, sound bite and I definitely have a place to use yeah, it. Yeah, I wonder if anyone's going to bring up farting at any point. <laughs> It'll be a di- I don't know. I don't know. It's too niche. We did, all, we did all make it into Superbad, though. There were sketches of all of our penises mm. at that lunchbox. Um, Mine was the little one. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. Just, Frank just eight-miled himself. No one said a word. I know. You dropped the mic on yourself. <laughs> nice. Also, <laughs> also a great soundbite. Should bite. we talk about the soundbite? Should we talk about Emerald Fennel? No, yeah, no, no. I, let's get back to the film. Let's do it. Okay. Please. Thank you, Marcus, the voice of reason in the room. <laughs> let's talk about Emerald Fennel. Tom? Emerald Fennel uh, is an actor who I think was best known for The Crown and Call the Midwife, correct? Yeah. Not things I've seen. She was Camilla Parker plays- Bowles in The Crown. Yes. I've and been she's told she's very good. Great. I mean, it's sort of a role that you go, I don't like you because we like Diana. Are we talk- we're talking I mean- season one. Oh, no, no, no. no Sorry, Camilla. Season three, yeah, 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 four, yeah. three four. She directed this. She directed this. She wrote, wrote and directed. directed. She won an Oscar for Best Original. She also screenplay. played wow. Blowjob Lips. Wow. Yes, she has a cameo in this as the YouTube tutorial teaching Carrie, um, whose character's name is actually... Cassie. 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 To, Cassandra. Uh, yes, Cassandra, to do blowjob lips. Uh, Interesting. Good. I, uh, I guess I'll get into, like, some of the... <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, well, well something. I was about just it. waiting for a soundbite to take over. <laughs> I'll get into the I'm not going to interrupt you racier like area. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you interrupting to tell me that. I'm going to try and get into the racier or the more uh, difficult areas Ooh. of this. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty racy. And it's the fact that uh, this is a movie that is about a culture that's obviously been going around uh, for a very long time and this is a very decidedly post-Me Too film, you know? Uh, there have been a handful of movies like this that have been made. Most recently, She Said, which yes. you've seen, right, Frank? That's a great movie. Yeah, as an uh, adaptation of The Two Reporters for the- Also Kerry Mulligan. Also Kerry Mulligan. Yeah. Um, you could maybe put Women Talking in this category um, and even a recent play that was on in England that Jodie Comer was in and has come to Melbourne recently called uh, Prima Feci, Prima Facie. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. It's Latin. Prima Face. Yeah, I'm sure. And all of these are about women in circumstances who are abused or mistreated or straight up like sexually assaulted or raped and uh, sort of a look at the patriarchy. And this this is a movie in that vein. 
I think for anyone who's listening and is like, ah, fucking Jesus Christ, like, sounds like fun. For me, I think this is a really fun movie. I think it's actually quite funny. I think it's really quite well-directed and it's quite propulsive and it's surprisingly effective at switching tones throughout. I think its biggest strength is scene to scene going from an exploitation thriller to kind of a rom-com to yeah. then. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to interject here. Please do. This was why I gave it a four. Because to me, it was like pick a lane and stick to it, right? And the rom-com portion of the film, which let's say is if you split this into thirds, that was the second third. Yeah, sure. Yep. Lost me. And Bo really? Burnham, super endearing, really fun, really charismatic. If I was watching this as a standalone rom-com between those two, this would be fucking great. Yeah, that's a nice chemistry. Yeah, yeah, amazing chemistry. And then if you saw this film as a what I – in the first initial couple of minutes, I was like, well, this is a bit on the nose. Oh, I know exactly what the theme of this film is. I know where they're going with it. Ha, let, like, let me have it. Let me see what you got. And then it lost me around the Bo Burnham rom-com bit. I was like, no, get back to like. Wait, didn't you say if, if it was a rom com, you'd like it? But because you're set no, up, you're like set up as thinking two it's going to be a separate th- films. Yeah, okay. I so love them individually. Halfway through, you're like, oh no, I'm not ready to. I was adjust. like, yeah, it was too. It was too much for me to. I just was it's like, jarring. is this a revenge slasher? Like, where are we going with this? It was almost in a stylistic, like, um, in a weird way, a Planet Terror sort of way for me. Like, there was almost like, at one point, she's. Walk- do you know what I mean by that though? I do. I do. I think there's a. Uh, yeah, keep going with that. No, that's, that's right. But like, idea. so. She walks down the street after her first interaction with uh, Adam uh, Brody. Adam Brody. The th- the final scene is you don't really see what happens to him, um, but you see her walking down the street is with an ice cream. I think no, it's a hot dog. It's a hot dog. Yeah, yeah. And she's got red all down her arms, and I was like, "Well, it's blood, right? Mm-hmm. Was it not blood? No, she didn't do anything to him. No, and it's the, she just it's like, the idea that this. Sorry, Frank. I was just saying, yeah. She just calls them out, right? You're not assuming that she kills these guys, yeah, because. But at this point, you don't know that. I mean, at this point, I thought that okay, well, she's yeah, killed him. She's so killed, yeah, he's learnt like she's given him a harsh lesson, and then his ultimate demise is just death. Yeah. and she's going to be offing these people one by one as punishment. But then you, she goes back to the notebook, like the next scene, she gets home and she's like crossing like tallies, hundreds. Yeah, and, and I was like, oh, that's a, she's been on a spree. That's a spree. But I think that's obviously I. I <laughs> try to hide the excitement. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she's been spreeing around. <laughs> But I guess that's the film that I wanted to watch because I knew it had a very poignant message and I was like, good, like deliver it because yeah. we all know what's coming. See, I I love I love the juxtaposition because I feel like it's the the duality of who she is as a person because obviously you're going to struggle with your best friend's just gone through that horrible situation and you want, you re- want revenge and you want to make people suffer yep. and learn from their mistakes. And, you know, she's sort of going on this like angel of death mission where she's, each person who was involved in the assault of Nina and getting the young men set free with no punishment, the yeah. lawyer, the dean of the school, all these people, she has a mission to be like, you've done wrong, you need to, you need to look at your life and Absolutely. adjust. But she's also a young woman who used to be full of life and want to enjoy things and, you know, be in love. I loved seeing that because then you can see she's like, oh, I don't – I don't have time for you, Bo Burnham. Sorry, I've got to go and I've got my mission. Weird that she so, calls him that in the movie. It's just like, yeah. no, keep rolling, keep <laughs> yeah, rolling. It's it, fine. it felt Cut. to me like- His Ryan. Cut. Go again. again, like she went to a dark place and I thought like if she's doing what I think she's doing or wants to do or achieve here, all of a sudden she's like, oh, but you know, oh, he's twisting my arm. Okay, the love of a good man is all I need. And then oh. she sort of loses her way a bit and I'm like, I lost interest. 
And I just don't know if it was enough for me to then, for ultimately what is the twist, to be like, oh, my God, the guy she fell with was actually, he was at the party. Well, we're back on track, guys. What? She fucking hates men again. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think she, yeah, I see your point. But it's also like, it's kind of like, ah, everyone's going to let you down is kind of the message in my mind. I was like, yep. And at the end, spoiler alert, she ends up getting smothered to death in a horrible scene mm. um, by one of the young men who originally assaulted her best friend, Nina. And it's like, she just, even though she has this meticulous plan, she's obviously like, in the end, those guys get arrested and she does, she has that win in that regard. Oh. But what? No, sorry. I'm looking at Chris because I reckon Chris and I found a real issue with the ending too. That's fine. We'll get back to I'm it. Sure we, I'm sure we did. But like the, the point of the story for me is like, no matter what your mission is and no matter how well you think it out and, you know, you're, she's in the right lane, technically. Like, you know, she's morally right, even if she's being a bit sadistic about it. 100%. She's right. 100%. And she still loses. The guy she likes, who seems to be perfect, seems to be great, is still kind of an asshole. She still gets murdered by the people she's trying to, yeah. you know, have revenge on. Like, nothing sort of works out. And that's the whole point of the film. Like, the style and the tension and, and everything happening in that um, bachelor party. Uh, is great. That's what I wanted out of the film. That's what I wanted from start to finish. And let me guess, you hated the scene the next morning when Schmitty comes in and he's like, oh, my God, you killed the stupid? No, it was, I didn't mind it because I was still reeling from the shock that they'd killed her. Yeah. At this point I was like, okay, wow. And so, and then it's, it's an awful scene watching these two guys kind of work it out with each other like, how do we cover this? Mm. Let's get rid of the body. And then I think Bernie, like, oh, I don't know, it's a lot. It's a it's lot to process. Pretty awful. What pisses me off, though, and I hope you agree with me here, Chris. This is, by the way, just I'm going to jump out here for a sec. Tom hasn't spoken for a while, and this is beautiful. sorry. Right, you guys have got a lot to say. Like <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, sorry, Tom. I do want to hear what you have to say, though. Um, the back end of the film is she's teed up these automated text messages to be released to uh, Bo. Again, I'm going to use his Ryan. Name. Ryan, thank his you. Christian name. His Christian. <laughs> Bobbit. Can we please, guys? Bobbit. Billy Bob. What was the name of the guy who got his dick cut off? That was he was a Bobbit, wasn't he? Nah, I'll come back to it. <laughs> Won't come back to him. <laughs> uh, Bobbit. There's the Jay Leno joke that's like uh, he needed eight stitches. Of course, he told his friends he needed twelve stitches. Anyway, go on. <laughs> so that's a solid joke. That's a good bit. See, uh, she sends does. out these automated texts post mortem to Ryan. And it schedules just conveniently as the police are turning up to this wedding to arrest everyone. And it's like there's a lot of very situational like how did she know that was going to happen and how did she time that? And it, it, I I had a lot of issues the way it ended. I was like, nah, fuck off. Okay, None so your, of that would have happened. Is, your problem is the luck of the schedule. Of the message, like it's a not lot. about. And it's not just like one lucky moment. Like it's a lot of a lot riding on the fact that things are going to happen the way she thinks they might happen. What that the lawyer's going to prosecute? Yeah, like at the time, like he even receives that. There's a whole bunch of like. It's like it's trying to be an oceans film where the plan is revealed you. at the end and it all happens yeah. in coincidence, except shit. Yeah. No. Well. Yes, I see that point. I mm -hmm. feel like it, it is a cheap-ish ending because originally it wasn't written with that. Originally it ended with her dying and that was it. And, I and then test, audience, test audiences went, what? Why would she just die and not have a, um, a secondary plan in case she died? So then they added that on. 
So I feel like it is a little undercooked in terms of the preparation of the writing and all that sort of stuff because yes. – but it's – like I left the film being like, God, that is so unsatisfying because you want her to win. You want it to be like, yes, triumph, these dickheads are dead and we win. Um, but that doesn't happen, which I think is the point. But it's real. It's really unsatisfying to finish a film and your protagonist is dead and haven't really had a moral victory of I don't any disagree kind. with you. I don't disagree with you. I just think that the ending they chose was far too um, calculated for, for any way that that could have panned out. Okay. There's, there, there is a good film in here somewhere. Well, there's even two. Mm. Now, it'll surprise- Well, the rom-com for one. Yeah, but- as a separate film. <laughs> what Marcus was saying before about, you know, the blood and, you know, has she killed this guy? Mm. That would have been a far more interesting film, mm-hmm. a female serial killer. You have the scene about halfway through the film um, where she's tricking the uh, black man in the hat. Sam Richardson's the actor's name. I can't remember the character. Yeah. And I also own a lot of fedoras. Go on. <laughs> And Bo Burnham comes and then there's the falling out and then he's like, what the fuck? You're not drunk? Like, what what the fuck's going on? Mm. And she's like, no, just piss off, piss off. And he confronts her and and she says to him, look, I'm not the only one out here doing this. There are girls walking around with, like, knives and scissors in their bag. The insinuation being they're cutting off guys' dicks. Yeah. That would be a more interesting film Mm. to watch that. Mm. The second version that would be far more interesting is... From the start of the film, she is suicidal and she has devised this plan to die and take everyone with her or at least frame people mm. for the death of her film. That ending, as she turns up to the party, she pulls the number plate off her car and throws it in the bush. So this is already, I'm making a backup plan in case I die. Yeah. That's not your backup plan. You you are going there That's knowing the that you are going to die. Yeah. Your your point before about she's got this book and she's got hundreds of check marks. Mm. The entire commentary in this film is men are bad. There are four men in this room. We know that men are bad. We know that men are monsters. You cannot have done this to that many men without having the absolute shit beaten out of you at mm. some point because you will have done this Very true. to the wrong man. You would be dead at this if point. If it's not ultimately ending in their death, then, yeah, she's yeah. A, like eventually you she's going to be. Hit. You would be dead before this film even starts if you have done this to that many men and also because that many they men would that are- not have taken it the way that every man in this film takes it, which is, oh, I'm suddenly a, a whimpering schoolboy. No, mm. I'm sorry. That does yeah. not ring true the type to what we know men are. Yeah. Agreed. It's a risky game. Also, honourable mention to, uh, what was the character's name? The, the black guy with the Sam fedora? Richardson. Paul. The way, why do you guys have to ruin everything? And then sure. he runs off like... You know that weird kid at high school that always had the backpack on and they put their arms behind him. You can just say, "Hey, did you guys know Tom as a kid?" That's (laughs) fine. That's fine. He runs off like that. Yeah, he runs off screen. Naruto style. Yeah, it's a weird. That's a weird line. Why do you guys always have to ruin everything? Yeah. It feels improv. It, yeah. <laughs> Can we, speaking way. of improv, yeah. and I have so many things that I, I we think you guys will make interesting points. I mean, I have a lot to say, but I will say, Bo Burnham. It feels like he improved most of this movie. And it's to his and the film's credit that tonally I think it works. 
I think why he in this film, and I would have nominated him for supporting actor for this movie. I think he's really good in it, really good, especially in his final scene with uh, Carrie Mulligan, which is heartbreaking and very tragic. Um, he plays every line delivery unlike any other guy I've ever heard in a romantic comedy. And his scenes essentially are that, as we've said. And just like when he's asking her to go out, he's like, do you want to go out with me? What? He's like, on a date with me. You know, just the way he'll do this. And she comes to see him after she's upset him being out with Sam Richardson. And she's like, can I come in? He's like, sure. (laughs) Everything he does in this movie is just a little bit, like there's a flavour to it. He has a, a great, very unique yeah. set of choices. No one sounds like you. Speaking yeah. of flavour to it, how about mm. that coffee that he drinks? Mm. That would maybe explain, <laughs> it's, if it's improv, yeah. that whole spitting in the coffee thing, yeah. that may explain it. Otherwise, well, this one an Oscar for screenwriting and it has someone <laughs> spitting in a coffee in it? What? Him, uh, him, yeah. him saying, okay I think just her spitting in the coffee isn't funny. I think him saying, you can spit it out if you want, and then she does. And yeah. he's and like- then, and then okay, he drinks it. And then I have to. And yeah, that's there's, there's an interesting so pattern. If, if, if that is improv, yeah. that would make it make sense. It's but funnier as improv. Yeah. The trivia is that he also drank that. <laughs> My, like she literally spits and he, as they're filming, he goes, yeah. A, a medical professional drinking no, someone know, the else's risk, spit. The risk is so low, you know, percentage wise. You, I literally wrote a note what here What doesn't saying, he have? Bo Burnham would drink spit. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of his B-sides, right? <laughs> After <laughs> insights. <laughs> He's stuck um, inside he, drinking capital, his own spit. Capital Wood. <laughs> he did a uh, he did an interview about auditioning for this movie, and he said that he did his first run with Kerry Mulligan, and Emerald Fennel was like, "Yeah, that's really good. Like, he would really be very nervous." So you've now, and he's like, "Oh, totally intentional. Yeah, totally, totally." She's <laughs> <laughs> very good. Um, she's very good. I think not. Nothing you guys have said, I think, is not a a valid concern with the movie. Uh, depending on how you're watching it. And this is, I watched this movie, you mentioned Planet Terror. Yes. Which is a Robert Rodriguez B-side movie that's released alongside- uh, Death Proof. Death Proof, the Tarantino B-side movies they made together in 2007. And I think this weirdly, for not being stylistically or dialogue, uh, in, in the sense of its dialogue, like Tarantino, it's an exploitation film and a thriller in the style of Tarantino. If I watch Inglourious Bastards and go- I just don't believe that those American Jews could sneak into Nazi-occupied Germany and get Hitler like that. The fucking movie sucks. Like, I'm not going to enjoy that movie if I just, like, look at all the ways in which it makes no sense. That's that those not trying to be reality, though. Yeah, that's, that's a heightened version of reality. Very this much a jump. is trying to be our world in 2020. I kind of disagree. I really do think it is a movie that is heightened because what? I agree with you that any woman would know, as you said, that being in those situations, it's like one of those guys is going to rape you or one of them is going to beat you. And it's like, yes, but this is a fantasy about having that revenge and having a dialectical with men. And yes, it's a very representative version of, of most men in this movie or all men in this movie are awful, which I think works in the favour of the movie trying to say like, this is from this perspective that very rarely gets seen and talked about. Uh, But yeah, I think so many of the things she goes through and to the credit of the movie, as much as I agree with you that in the real world, yes, she would have experienced terrible, terrible abuse and, and awful things happening to her in the circumstances she puts herself in, she does eventually die to one of these men and it's horrible. And the mo- that's kind of yeah. the movie at least going like, well, like, see, yeah, Tom, this would probably I, happen. I don't disagree with you, but yeah. this is, again, the problem I have with it. It's like it starts off stylistically in a way that you're like, oh, this is like neon and fucking there's some, like it's a bit left of centre and it's going to be larger than life and then it mm-hmm. just isn't. 
I, then it grounds itself and then it, then it has a mixed identity of like what's it trying to do. So if you're going to ground it and have a, a poignant message and really push for what we all know is ultimately they're trying to tell you. Yeah. Or really lean into it and, again, like we've spoke about on other pods, like commit to the idea of what you're trying to do here. I don't think it's that far-fetched or stylistic. I really see it as pr- it's pretty based in reality. I think I the, the, the title not, alone never, and the poster, like it all it all reads as one thing. I went into the film thinking I was going to watch something and then it didn't get it yeah. is basically how I feel. In the sense that she's- So the marketing was off. Uh, for one thing, yeah, absolutely. But I, yeah, I don't like, you look at that first thing where they're out at a club and they go back to her house and they're all drunk and then it's the morning after. Hmm. Is like, I don't see them as stylistically that different. Day what? versus night, sure, but I feel like- The way it's shot, you mean? Yeah. I like well, and the, the whole feel of it. One of the shots in the club that I like is the close-ups on all the guys' uh, gyrating pelvises and how it's just like yeah. everyone. And from a distance, it kind of looks a little like goofy anyway, but just that close-up yeah. of them kind of doing this. Um, I think what makes it a little bit more effective as well is that it's probably easier. I'm not saying there's not a movie out there and it would be a much more grindhouse and really dark film hmm. that would do a woman who goes around and cuts guys' dicks off, a woman who goes around and kills men. I remember we were talking about the menu a few weeks ago and Chris, I thought you made a really good point and I agree with on that movie, which is like, don't kill them, scar them psychologically. That's so much more interesting. And I do think this movie is more interesting in that she's making these guys look at themselves and consider who they are instead of hurting them. Hurting them would be too easy. And the one guy she goes to hurt, it doesn't work anyway, right? Like right at the end, she goes to carve Nina's name into Chris Lowell's thigh or, or chest or whatever. Tummy. and a, Tummy, sorry. And uh, he's- <laughs> not, <laughs> I'm not, not an anatomist. Or, I'm, not a, I'm not a science guy. I don't know body parts, But definitely right? a tummy. Uh, <laughs> I see tummy here. area. Stop with your, your chin stuff. But anyway, <laughs> mouth, Talking? that's what it's Talking. called, your chin <laughs> yeah. hole. Um, but yeah, she. I think she makes these guys look at who they are and it is more interesting if you consider that she's not necessarily, yeah, you're right, men are monsters and they're awful. But like so many of the guys in this movie are not, it's so much easier for a man to be, in a movie anyway, and in a dramatic sense, a rapist or a serial killer or a physically abusive person. Take him to the 10 mark yes. as opposed to like the six or much seven. Much trickier if you're the, the guy who's like, I'm going to go help this girl who's drunk. I'm going to make sure she gets home. Hey, maybe my place is just here. I do, one thing I love about the screenplay, and you might hate this and think it's too over obvious or anything, is that never ever does she say anything that counts as affirmation or yes. No, Every no. step of the way when she's with one of the guys, they're like, hey, like, why not do that? And she's like, mm, I don't think. You know, like she's I don't know. Like, He's like, no, 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 yeah. it's fine, it's fine. And it's yeah. like she's not saying no, but that's a huge talking point that we know that it's like you don't yeah. have to go, yeah. no, stop it's for not, it to yeah. be a no. Obviously, she doesn't want to be doing these things. Yeah. And what's his name from the OC? Adam, Adam Brody. Adam Driver. When he, <laughs> good soup. When he, <laughs> good soup. Good soup. When he uh, is looking up at her, horrified after she goes, "What are you doing?" Yeah. And the way Christopher Mintz uh, Plas responds as well. Of course, there's a degree to which you're like, you know, there's a very gritty, awful, real world version of this where they don't stop. Mm. But it is kind of funny, and also like definitely in the way that you're talking about it being based in society in 2020, definitely skewering in that sense that it goes like. <laughs> What are these guys doing? And of course they don't think they're the bad guy. Of course there's nothing wrong with them until they do this and they could 
have plausible deniability because she was drunk, but I was drunk too. And it's much more gray area, I think. Give me some clarity here because there was a scene that really confused me as well because she's got this um, unnerving sort of confidence where she can be face-to-face with these guys and not flinch. Mm. Yeah. And plays the character and and is very aware of not saying um, yes or agreeing to things and blah, 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 blah. She's so calculated in the way she's handling all this. But there's a scene where she um, meets up with the lawyer. Is it ex-lawyer? Yeah. um, Yeah, yeah. uh, It's Dr. Octopus. Yeah. Yeah. And he is, one, why was he as erratic as he was? Because I was kind of, I think I missed something. He represents like the idea of like an adult conscience because of yeah. what he's he, the only one what who happened. has reflected. And like in the same way that I take a lot of this movie at the value of it being a fantasy, yeah, I yeah. do kind of go like if this man is a lawyer who's done terrible things, he really probably doesn't remember this one girl's name because yeah. presumably he's done this for a lot of people. Hundreds and hundreds of times. But at the same time, that's an interesting. But in the same scene too, he he moves, he, he's moving erratically pretty much the, all the way through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at one point he kind of lunges towards her, not With close. the forearms when Spider-Man comes through the window. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, <laughs> that's insane. Like, yeah. I'm like, I can't no, believe they kept when that in. He sort of falls to his knees and she's yeah. on the couch and she flinches. She flinches, like yeah. massively loses her nerve. It's the one thing she's not ready for. But I think, Is yeah. someone demonstrating actual capacity for guilt and asking forgiveness. That's is no that way. what it is? Yeah. And then the one time, and then when Bo Burnham goes for it, it's so artificial. And he's like, you have to forgive me. And she's like, no, of course not. Yeah. You haven't mm. sat with this and dealt with this. You've had yeah. 10 seconds to think about this. I had a you note think, watching this. Was Alfred, obviously, I was like, why does she forgive the lawyer and not Bo Burnham's character, Ryan? And I was like, that's the exact thing. You can see that he's been tr- not sleeping. He's like just addled with guilt and- Stressed out his mind, and then she's like, "Oh, okay, I can forgive you because I can see that you've you've processed it and you've probably changed your thinking at least." Whereas Bo Burnham, like you said, he's like, "Oh no, I, I, first of all tries to deny it, then he's like, no, no, I mean, well, I was a kid." Like he just excuse after excuse. It's like, "No, no, you're not, you're not sorry, so I'm not going to forgive you." And I was like, oh, "Okay." The forgiveness aspect, I I believe the flinch, I don't understand. Yeah, I guess it's just, but she. She has all these situations planned in her head how they're going to go, and that's the last thing you she's like, sure. And it, you know, from the second he goes, she goes, "You won't remember her name," and he goes, "Nina," and she's like, "Fucking what? Rattles how yeah. do you know that?" Okay. And yeah. you can see in her, she's shocked. She's just like, loses yeah. composure. A part yeah. I yeah. like okay. about that scene, but I don't necessarily like it because I think it's clever or good. It just makes me laugh because it's so silly. Is you could quibble with what her plan is with each character, like when she takes Alison Brie out to lunch and she has a whole plot when she's with Connie Britton, Connie like Britton. The, the dean, of the, all these different plots and plans she has. And with her, she goes out and there's like a Russian guy out there and he's just like, so, so I go do I go in and beat the shit out of him now? And she's like, no, not anymore. And it's like, <laughs> well, that's a clever plan. Like I got this yeah. mobster and he's going to kill you. Like there's, there wasn't really anything thought out for that section. As no, there was that's with very the true. Ones. And like, again, that goes against what you've been justifying. It's yeah. All of a sudden there's it a It would have been funnier if she came out and there was like some whole setup that she had to call and undo. Like, fuck, I had this whole thing. It was going to be a day. Yeah. And now, but it's no, it's just a guy there who's like, yeah. Do I do this now or what? You know, um, special that. mention again to Alison Brie because she did a lot better in this film than I gave her credit for. When she came on screen, I was like, oh, what the fuck is she going to do here? And I don't hate her. I actually quite enjoy watching her. Mm. But I thought, what angle are they going to take with her? And she plays this stereotype that I fucking hate. Like, oh, wow. And it rubbed me the wrong way and I was like, she's doing it really well. Yes. Just a person that I just can't stand being in the same fucking room as and 
Okay. We, we, I mean, no, sorry. Take a I'm, breath, Marcus. It's <laughs> acting. <laughs> I... No, but she does it really well. She like, does. No, absolutely. Can very I try nice and performance. pull apart a scene? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the final scene with Alison Brie where she leaves the phone on the table. Mm. Yeah. She's like, "Don't. I've got the footage. Don't watch it, but yeah. do what you will. So the scene is shot looking side onto them, uh, carries on the left looking right. Annie from Community is on the right looking <laughs> left. Yep. In the background, there is a photo, uh, painting of a dog. The dog is looking- Siamese cat, Chris. Okay. So I don't know if you- <laughs> We'll check the footage. I'm a little askew. Uh, and the dog is looking to the left. Now, thematically, in art, moving from the left to the right, you are moving into the future. With Carrie on the left, she is looking into the future. And essentially, Alison Brie is now- in her way, so to speak. The first thing wrong with it is that f- the picture of the dog should be looking the other way because we are in Carrie's parents' house. That dog should thematically be on her side. Mm-hmm. With the dog looking at her, it's threatening. There are two things threatening. So the dog should be the other way around. It should be guarding Carrie from Annie. Annie then puts the phone on the table and then leaves. Carrie is then still on the left and picks up the phone, as in, the phone is in my way, but it's not. Carrie should actually walk around to the other side because the phone doesn't represent something in her way. It represents an anchor pulling her back into the past because mm. at this point in the film, she's with Bo. She's moving forward in her life. Yeah. What that means is then that it's then a temptation, visually a temptation, as it's presented on the screen, it visually didn't work for me. Now, is this me now watching too many films <laughs> and trying to pull these apart too much? I don't know if any of us have ever done that. No. So it would be weird for you to start now. It's hardcore thing. <laughs> it, 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 it didn't work visually yeah. for me. The and, I'm sh- and I'm sure if you spoke to Emerald Fennel, she'd, she might have a, a justification for all of that. Yeah, sure. But I think in terms of, because we should get it, we'll give her a call. No, yeah, she's like, oh, there was a painting with a dog in it? No, no, no. But I think, you know, <laughs> you know, devil's advocate, she might be like, oh, well, the dog's, everything's against Cassie, for example. You might yeah. be like, whatever it is. Sure. Um, but it's, it's, that's it's, such a good point that you think about because it might not be something that, everyone thinks about this, the staging and the framing of every shot where, you know, some filmmakers take it very seriously, whereas others just, I'll oh, just shoot the film from the, this side. This film is trying to communicate a lot visually. Well, though. there's lots of symbolic This shots. film is trying to be a fairy tale. Mm. Her parents are the king and queen. She is the princess, the princess that is locked up in the tower and she goes out at night to intermix with the local villagers and actually protect them. She's acting as a knight mm. to protect local villagers. Interesting. This is great. She's dressed always in light pinks and blues during the day, uh, soft fabrics. Yes. So she's presented as this soft feminine princess mm-hmm. character. Then when she goes out at night, she's wearing the harder clothes. During the day, she has her fingernails painted in the, the matte pastel yep. colours, the soft colours. Then at the end of the film, she's dressed as the stripper. She's a slutty doctor. She went to medical school but dropped out. Yeah. So she didn't become a doctor. And those pastel colours have then become in her wig. It's like she's turned into her 
ultimate version of herself. Yeah. But again, it, it somehow doesn't work. Something's missing. It's weird how everything you said just made me like it more, though, because you've thought about that more than I had. Mm. And I, but I agree with you in the sense that it makes it more fantastical, that there is that element of this is kind of a standard story with just some of those really heightened and awful subjects tossed in there. But yeah, the, 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 or like the, um, archetypal sort of princess. And but it's but also even, superhero. Even, it's also a superhero, it's a superhero story. Yeah. It's an exploitation like You even film. look at the it's furnishings a... in the parents' house. It's quite opulent. There yeah. are there yeah. are chandeliers in the house. Lots of and, gold and the artwork and, and real colours. Like yeah. So, it's like, so you've, you've read into this a lot though, and I'm wondering if I've ha- seen this twice. This is how many times? Oh, twice. okay, okay. Yeah, I saw it when it first came out. Is a lot of this intentional it. though? Is this you taking an interpretation from the film? Like that's my question. We've got to assume the director. Makes those decisions. You've sure. got to assume. I mean, if a director gets to that point of making a feature film, like wide release, and they haven't thought about that sort of stuff, mm. eh, they're probably not doing a great job and they probably won't be making films no, for very sure. long. I but feel sure. like Emerald Fennel is smarter than that. I would and like to think it's intentional. About I'm just it. curious because if, if any of that is accidental or if you've taken what well, I found to be a, a story that couldn't quite find its footing or its identity and you've given it that... Yeah. To me, and I agree with Tom, it is a lot more interesting. Yeah. But I didn't like see I, any of that. Yeah. Going in, I knew what the story was so I could actually sit back and go, okay, yeah. what else is going on? Yeah. Cool. Okay. So yeah. a second watch you sort of get, can process it more. Yeah. Like, oh, cool. And did it, you like it the it first time or did you like no. it less the same? Or uh, Probably less. You've given so it a like two. I mean, two out of 11 is low. Yeah. It, 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 like these things are there, yeah. but it doesn't work for me. It, it doesn't work for it. There, there is a kernel of a good story in here, but this isn't it. Okay. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not interesting. It's not. Yeah. It's not cool. engaging for I've, for I me. Like but I don't think I'm the audience for this film. There is also that. Like obviously, I would just. Dis- I mean, I would disagree with that. I feel like it is. I mean, it might be not tailored to your taste, but I feel like it's. It is for everyone. As opposed to like, it's a social commentary, and I feel like we all need to go. Yeah. Not that we, like... You said before, one of Bo's excuses at the end is, oh, I was a kid. Yeah. But then she's going out and she's doing this to 30-plus-year-old men. Mm-hmm. You are not fixing a problem with these men now. You need to be educating younger men. Going, going to schools and do a little program. Yeah. Education in high school. Yeah. But scaring the shit, well... That would be... Scaring. A- yeah. Grown men about their actions... Might not be, it's already You're set not in, solving it's set the stone, problem, yeah. and what, what is the root cause of the problem? I and think, yeah. when it's happening, like this, this happened to her friend at college. Yeah, these men are five to ten years past college. Well, that's and the whole thing. Like I was watching it with Lucy, and she was like, "How? Long, it's been fifteen years. Why is she still? Why has she not done this five years ago? Like, why is she now? Like, she's held onto it for so long, and now she's taking action. It's like, wouldn't she have done this earlier when I it think was the crush was the guy that she wanted to scar had just moved back to the country, and she saw the video for the first time. Seeing it for the that will do that. I would think after you've been holding onto something for so long, but she's been going around doing this vigilante mission for so long. But that she would. What do you mean then? That what would she just do now? Well, uh, how? Well, my question is the timeline. How long has she been a vigilante doing this course? Has it been since college, since the incident? I imagine. I imagine she just dropped out and made it her whole life. Okay. Well, then and that's I don't fine. think the movie thinks that she's doing something as much as it's like posing questions about power structures and and how women are treated in society. And there's obviously a lot to that. 
I don't think the movie's going. And this is a healthy way to deal with it. Like, it's definitely saying she's obsessed and this is bad how she's doing it. Yeah. Even if there's something inherently and maybe, like you say, for the audience it might be intended for, whether it is or not. But I think there'd be a lot of women who would watch this and be like, there's a huge vicarious thrill in getting to watch mm. this I and think get was- to see something that's never been shown in a movie. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was before. a much more powerful scene, I think, when obviously you've seen her interactions with some of these guys and how she twists and turns it onto them and that, you know, teaches them this um, ultimate lesson. The scene with the dean and explaining to her about, okay, well, what if it was your daughter? That, to me, drove it home for me. I was like, cool. That was a great scene. That was a very good scene. Yeah. Um, I I think that was more powerful than what was demonstrated with the guys. Well, I feel like it was more thorough. But also this is, she's one of the, no, she had the lawyer, the dean and the guys who did it. They're like the main three that she's trying to. Prove her point with. Yep. I. It's nice that it's so thought out. And obviously, she for the listener, she kidnaps the dean's daughter, uh, and then what does she say? She says that she's left the dean's daughter in a room with these young boys, mm. and the dean's obviously freaking out, thinking they've that, got a bottle of vodka. She'll yeah. be fine though, be right? Fine, like you can right? trust she's, her. Oh, she's okay. such a pretty girl though. Yeah. And obviously, the, the 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 fear and what the dean knows because she would have seen it so many times is my daughter's in trouble. And the panic sets in and she – because to start the scene, Connie Britton is regal, really like great posture, strong. She's running the scene. And then it turns and she just mm. becomes a crumpled mess of fear, which I think is awesome. And then the reveal is obviously the, uh, Cassie has the daughter, and is, but she's safe. Like she would never actually do anything, which is why like I think she's not obviously killing these guys. It's this weird moral lesson – See, I did doubt it just for a moment. Did you think she might have actually done it? Towards the start of the film, the first scene where we're in the coffee shop, a young girl comes up and asks for a coffee Mm. and basically she tells her to fuck off. And I'm like, you are the protagonist of our film. We're meant to like you and yet you are actively being mean to a stranger and a female. Which I think plays into what you were saying before, which is like why her doing this, like it's not actually changing or fixing anything. And I think the movie knows she's a flawed, complicated person who's not actually achieving anything outside of a very personal set of- It's a personal vendetta. I feel like the message message is right. You can expand it out to a societal message and some commentary, but it's really just a- She's narrowed her life completely. She's just entrenched herself. And her parents are so aware of that. They're like, what are you doing, Cassie? Like you're out every night, you're a mess. She's like, no, I'm fine because she thinks she's doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, morally she's on the right path, I guess, but the actions and the lifestyle choices and everything is so messed up that you're like, you're you're completely obsessed with this idea and yeah. it's destroyed your life, which might be the, the secondary theme of this film. It's like these things happen and we have to learn how to, to, to process trauma and to deal with our grief and to move on because trauma happens to everyone and you're like, yeah, life fucking sucks. Not get over it, but do do your best to deal with it and process it and be a good person moving forward. Yeah. I would have a I would have maybe similar issues or just adjacent issues to this movie as you guys have if I really thought it was trying to be like, here's a solution to the problems in society and here's a real world example of this stuff. And I think it's taking a lot of them and immediately extrapolating them to the realm of like, well, none of this is possible or at least none of this is plausible. You guys Mm. talk about the ending. I don't disagree. Like the ending is very silly and there's no way that could actually happen. But I've been watching the movie on that level for the whole time and being like a lot of these things are silly and couldn't really happen. But I 
I'm invested in the truth of her emotional sort of integrity as a character and how much she's trying to find a recourse through that. And I also think Karen Mulligan's just fucking How, how did excellent. they know, like, how did, sorry, how did she know that she was going to get burnt? Her body would even remain at oh, the and she's cabin. And lo- she's got a locket that's locket. probably, like, fucking, yeah. like, coated like, plastic. And easily, it's like, oh, it, it made lasted. it through the fire. Like, no, yeah. obviously not. And they like, could have just but again, dumped her in the of, of a car. None we've, of it makes we've said this a few times, going back to lots of other films, if you don't buy into the premise, if you go, oh, hold on, this wouldn't happen exactly like this, then give up. Like you have to watch a film with a suspension of disbelief. You have to go, cool, whatever happens, you have to believe it at that, as that some form of truth mm-hmm. and that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So, to put case, yeah, it is yeah. a bit far-fetched and a bit like, oh, she, she had some she piece got them of all shit in prison. moments as well. Yeah, like, she's not a great person. No. No. But I, even like what's with sleeping in the fucking intersection? Like that guy pulls up, I'm in his car, I'm with him. I'm like- No, I, I said- Oh, you're not Sorry, go. you go. No, well, no, I, his language used and the way that he, he behaved because of that yeah. was pretty awful. But well, also mm. she, she was parked in the middle of the fucking road and having a nap. Yes, but there's a lot of room around her. And also what would you do if you pulled up to someone who's unconscious at the wheel? Yeah, props check on him. Right. Yeah. Because oh, I said the same. I, at You're home, right? I was like, Yeah? Because I, like, <laughs> I said to Luce, I was like, "She's that's a bit, she trashed his car. She was like, did you see his behaviour? And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm yeah. the problem. Like, if, if you put up to someone in a car and they're unconscious, you would not go, get out of the fucking road, you This bomb. is, uh, no, you know what? This is coming back to me. I'm just, I have terrible road rage. I'm so sorry. I yes. never knew that about <laughs> you. I've seen that many times. I will never drive with you I again. think it's an interesting point you make that you and Luce had different perspectives because cinematically it's setting us up to see her as the obstacle there. And then it's asking us, like, why the fuck is she an obstacle here? I don't yeah. love that scene either. It definitely is a moment in the movie that I'm like, you could probably lose that scene and it doesn't really affect the movie one way or the other for me. Yeah, but these, I, these nice guys over here that yeah, wouldn't have sworn yeah, at the woman in the, the car in the way. Yeah, You're a nice You're guy, right? You're a woman on the street. What do you do? She's a cunt. You guys know that, don't you? <laughs> okay, let's, we don't need to drop the C-bomb, do we? <laughs> Sorry. She's a I think I already did earlier. I apologise. Yeah. I'll cut it. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't hear you. Biblical correspondent here, Franco. Yes. Um, I am, we apologise. That's uh, why this film was a problem for me because it's a lot of satanic <laughs> he puts He puts the C in correspondent. Do you remember? In Christian? He puts the Corrie in correspondent. Let's be honest. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yes. There's a couple of nice cameos in this film too, like Jennifer Coolidge, Mo- uh, Molly Shannon as well. Uh, Clancy Brown is the dad. Clancy who's actually Brown. really, really affecting. kind of nice. The right? last scene he has with her is really sweet when he's like very happy for her. <laughs> I like that a lot. When he's like, thank you for introducing us to, to Ryan. I know oh, that wasn't right. easy for you. That's a really sweet moment. And he's just like, ooh, money, money, money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mr. Krabs. It's Jennifer just Coolidge. a shame oh, that's they right. ruin his character. Say again. It's just a shame they ruin his character. He would have been the one redeemable what male doing? character. Oh. It's subtle, but when the cop comes to answer the missing persons case, mm-hmm. he's like, the cop's like, oh, does she, you know, go out often? The mum's like, no. And the dad's like, oh, well, you know, she, yeah, she's she's out a lot. That's true. And the, then the back and forth between the cops are, ah, oh, you know, young girls, girls, you know. Which I think's the unfortunate. I agree with you that that immediately taints their perspective and makes them go, oh, you know, we know what kind of case this is sort of thing. I, I took it as just the earnestness of him being like, well, I'm not going to lie to the police. Why, why would I tell them no? They, she does. the earnestness, like it's a weird tra- juxtaposition of he is being earnest and honest of what she's doing yeah. because he doesn't know the full picture of why she's yes. out. Like she's not a heroin addict or what have you. Um, 
But that's the only option. That's right? <laughs> <laughs> all you go through yeah, on your yeah, yeah. Uh, librarian, uh, a traveling uh, salesman, <laughs> a juggler. She's a juggler. <laughs> but it is that weird thing of the, the the dad doesn't know that the policeman's now going to judge her and oh well, it's, she's just a burnout yeah. lost cause. I don't think the movie takes looks at the dad there. I don't think it goes fuck, mate. I think it's just like that's unfortunate. Like yeah. that's going to get used in a way he doesn't intend. Intentional, unintentional. Are you a nice guy? Are you a bad guy? Like yeah. it's, uh, you know, there's many layers. What was up with the detective? It was, I wasn't helped by Do you know that. who it is? It's, who? it's a familiar face. But it's I can't the guy from Miss Congeniality who plays oh. the son of, oh my God. Oh, of course. My bad. <laughs> you don't- <laughs> it's waiter number three. <laughs> but you're, from- such, you're such a big Sandra Bullock fan. Yeah, well, that's true. Jesus. Who, okay, tell me who isn't a big Sandra Bullock fan. Okay. He plays Candace Bergen's son, and his name, of course, <laughs> Samuel Bergen. <laughs> this is, a is Steve Monroe. Well, yeah, he plays I mean, Frank. He plays Frank. Oh, guys. Steve the Pirate. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, nope. silly us. Wrong. We should have known. It's better. very true. I just, we have to admit. <laughs> Everyone who's listened to this, go back and listen to it. We're, we're going to, like, play it back later. But Frank went, you guys know who that is, right? <laughs> <laughs> I Okay. I love Miss Congeniality. You yeah. know that's a great yeah. film. A good, don't try and fight me. Starring. Great film. William Shatner. Yes. From. What's he from? What's uh, he from? Baseballs. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. It'll come to me. It's It'll it. come to me. Uh, but the detective, I didn't buy it. He was so, so, so too much. He's a lot, and it's a lot. <laughs> there are broad. What do you mean he's too much? I get that what it's a broad kind of Frank, like our overacting correspondent here. <laughs> I would have made the exact same choice as him. <laughs> She's suicidal. Yeah, him just like being hey, like, Doc. ah, we get girls like this all the time. You know, it's probably fine. Bo Burnham. It's heartbreaking so much of what happens. And by heartbreaking, I mean fucking tragic that he turns out to be the guy he does. But the two bits are when she says, I'll probably still turn you in anyway, and he says, then we won't be, both won't be doctors, you fucking failure. Oh, and I'm like, okay, awful, that's awful one line. of the most, like, it's that a hateful for me, spit. it's an incredibly good line. It's yeah. like, what's the most hurtful thing in the most but hurtful way? just a shitty, oh, like, so. He knows, because in, in that moment, of course, he knows the worst thing he can say to her. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and her just blowing it off and being like, she just walks oh, out. Ryan. But the next yeah. thing is when the cop's like, do you know where she was this weekend? And you can see him go. It's like, I can get out of this. Uh, yeah. I'm going to lie. And yes, I will say she was suicidal. And it's yes. real dog shit. It's a real oh, dog shit moment. Awful. Um, I had two more things I want to say real quick. I know we've been talking a lot. Um, I like how every scene between her and one of the characters that she confronts, whether it's Alison Brie, whether it's Connie Britton, whether it's Jason Molina, where it goes a little differently, or of course- Alfred Cr- Molina. Alfred Molina, my, my goodness. And Chris Lowell at the end, who plays Al Monroe, the guy who, which oh, I think is an yes. expert bit of casting because I don't know what else you guys have seen him in. I believe he was in Veronica Mars. He is in Veronica but Mars. But he's in a lot of other things where he him. plays the sort of like shifty or not shifty, but sort of smug, but ultimately nice guy. Not so different to Max Greenfield as um as Schmidt. You know, he plays yeah. that character. And so him being a rapist is really, really like- jutting out against and his- And a murderer. And a murderer by the end. It's really jutting out against his sort of character that he normally plays. I like how every scene she has is an exchange of information. Every scene begins with her playing at some sort of character and engaging with someone on some sort of level of artifice and slowly showing her hand. And the way that works in every scene is really magnetic to me and how Karen Mulligan plays it. Um, obviously, it doesn't quite work that way with a lawyer, like because, as you say, Marcus, she flinches and she's caught off guard. But how she plays it with Alison Brie 
when they're having drinks, how she plays it with Connie Britton, how she plays it even with Bo Burnham when she comes to confront him. Like that whole scene is so much more, for me, effective because she comes into it pretending like, oh, silly me, you know, I'm so I can't believe I didn't know this was going to happen. And she's just so aloof and her way of holding herself there and the way she does it with Al as well when he's chained up. That's my favourite scene in the movie. What her. was your score again? I'd go about an 8.7. I really enjoyed this. Okay. I, if you want to hear the reason I've had less to say of like, well, why isn't this an 11? Why isn't this a 10? It's a lot of the things you guys have said I don't disagree with. It is like- It's flawed. Uh, it's flawed. It, you can only get so far with that sort of level of clockwork storytelling to which I do eventually go a little bit like, okay, well, that probably wouldn't work that way and that wouldn't work that way. I'm suspending disbelief for some sections. Other sections I'm finding a little bit harder. There are some scenes that I think- are not as interesting. I mm. I think the Connie Britton scene is a good one, but I do find it less interesting than the confrontation with Alison Brie. See, I, f- I mean, but I think the Molly Shannon scene is probably oh, for me that's so one superfluous. Of the yes. yes, actually, I'd forgotten about that scene. You don't need that scene in the movie. No, so for exactly. the listener, Molly Shannon plays Nina's mother. That was one of my biggest criticisms. And she's like, Cassie, what are you doing? You got to let go. Which, yeah, sure, she does, but it's, it's such a really fucking on the nose scene. For, no, for no reason. You've already had that conversation yeah. with the parents. Um, yeah. The fact that we never see her relationship with Nina and we get told, oh, the best of friends, you should have seen. They loved each yeah. other. Yeah. They were great friends. Anyway, I'm What's like, the show don't tell it problem? Is hard. It's like they it's just tell you. It's really hard to take. I find I take it seriously as a character point if I don't take it seriously as a real relationship. I because, don't get any idea of who they the, were as friends. Because the initial incident was so hidden from us as the viewers yeah. in every aspect, I think I just couldn't invest enough in her story to be like, why are you on this path now? Like, re- like I want to see how you transition from being a fucking successful doctor potentially to avenging your um, your friend for what happened to her. Yeah, it'd be cool to get a prequel almost. Just anything else. Yeah. For context. I agree. Um, and this was, you know, it could have been like Planet Terror meets I Spit on Your Grave. Like that's what I went in wanting. Planet um, Spit on Your Grave is a really good reference point. Um, Max Greenfield uh, shows up as basically a cameo near the end of this movie. I don't know if you guys found it this way. It's some of the most I've laughed ever. I know a lot of people won't invest in that tonal shift, but the idea that one of the most harrowing on-screen deaths I've seen in a little while where he just smothers her for like two minutes straight. It's two and a half minutes. Unbroken. They were like, what and is you're it? like, how long does it take to smother someone? It's two and a half minutes. Really? And he's amazing. yelling, stop fucking moving. It's oh. really gut-wrenching. And then Schmidt comes in essentially and Schmidt's it up and the fucking immortal line, dude, buddy, buddy, this is not your fault. I don't know. It kind of seems like it is. <laughs> <laughs> I... Yeah. Fucking love it. I love how it twists and turns into a sitcom and it has that thematic resonance of the nicest guys that you love on TV might have done this. Yeah, I could, <laughs> it could have been Nick from, uh, it could have been Nick. Yes. Nick, and, Nick and Schmidt. But I think Nick and, yes. and they killed Jess. Yeah. Okay, it's horrible. Yeah. So well, that's probably. Yeah. We were all thinking it. I'm we're halfway all. through. Is that how new girl is? <laughs> is that us <laughs> dropping no, she, She's the new girl. The oh. old girl. They yeah. At times that's we wanted the sad. pillow on Did, her, I think, as well. Jesus. Oh, wow. Did anyone throw in the bow? I I would have to say I'm pretty firmly still. Who's that girl? It's. <laughs> I don't think anyone's really going to oh throw God, in the pound so much, are we? No one's going to. I'm pretty. I'm going to stay where I was. I, I will. Uh, I will throw in the pal. Whoa! I'll, I'll put this up to a three. Hey, Chris. Yes. All right. Uh, as I've said, I, I don't feel that I'm the jump. audience for this film. Mm. Um, but yeah, listening to you guys talk about it and its and its positives, happy to. 
but it's That's still not, a three. Yeah. yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> As I said, I wanted to like this more and I'm glad we got to hash it out. I still disliked it, wouldn't watch it again, but I will give it a five. Mm. Five go... Up to a five. Yeah! That was nice. Well, I guess, Tom, you won again. Isn't that always the way, though? No. Isn't, but that's, that's, that's our way to shut him up, isn't that? Give us that one. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. We're just playing along okay, with this yeah. one. These guys, in case you guys didn't see the last scene of the movie, are all chained up with pink handcuffs, and I'm holding a pillow over each of their heads. So, like, don't worry about it. It's fine. Me first. I don't want some slobbery pillow. Can I call you daddy? Do it the Throwing the Power is a Hey Power Productions production and that was the worst ending I've ever heard. Um, which sorry. one do you mean? You smothering us to death. Well, you're still going, so it feels <laughs> like it. <laughs> well, hasn't been two and a half minutes yet, has it? <laughs> so that was Promising Young Woman. This is Throwing the Power. I'm Frank. I'm Chris. I'm Marcus. I'm Tom. Throwing the Power. Listen is just.